Welcome to episode number 28 of the Reformation Roundtable podcast. My name is Joe Stout, and I represent a group of men and women and boys and girls who are seeking to plant a Reformed church in Lewis County. At this point, we're very, very close to actually starting official Lord's Day worship. But we're not quite there yet, and so in the meantime, as we work towards a common understanding of what Reformed worship ought to look like, we've been meeting for fellowship nights on Sunday evenings. These are open to anybody who would like to come, so if you would like to join us for our next one, head over to lewiscounty.church and you can find the information that you need. There's a contact form, fill that out, and it will go directly to me, and I will get back with you with the time and the date and the place that we'll be meeting. In the meantime, though, we are going to let you in on the last fellowship night we had. And during that time, we discussed the final memorial of the CREC Book of Memorials, and that was on worship. Now, worship in this discussion doesn't mean simply singing. The common evangelical understanding of worship is, of course, singing, and that's certainly part of worship. But when we talk about worship, we talk about from the moment we are called into God's presence on the Lord's Day, all the way until we are commissioned back out into the world. That whole time is what we consider worship. And so we talk about Lord's Day worship from that perspective. I hope you enjoy the talk. And again, if you'd like to join us, head on over to lewiscounty.church. Uh, let me open this up in prayer. <clears throat> Gracious God in heaven, thank you so much for your people. Thank you that we can come together today when we have uh, a big crowd. And thank you that we can come together when um, there are people are, are scattered abroad for, for various reasons. We're out in the kingdom doing kingdom work. I pray, Father, that you would bless our time tonight and fill this place, Lord, with your truth. Fill it with your peace, your fellowship, the fellowship of the saints. And we pray, Father, that we would be encouraging to one another, that we would strengthen one another, and that your glory would be proclaimed tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come now, fount of every blessing, to my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never cease. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy shall see thy lovely face, richly clothed in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign praise. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry, take my ransom soul away, send thy angels now to carry me to realms of 
if thou ever didst discover to my faith the promised land, bid me now the stream pass over, oh the heavenly border stand. Now surmount whate'er opposes, into thine embrace I fly. Speak the word thou spake to Moses, bid me Now, if you think about you know, if you think about um, God's role in the salvation of His people, and you think about the some of the doctrines that uh, Reformed people like to talk about, like election and and the perseverance of the saints, the fact that God will not lose any of His people, um, some of the incredibly wonderful good news about this is. Um, found in verse 3, it says, uh, from that found, it says, O to grace, how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness, or some, some uh, versions of the song will say, let thy grace, like a fetter, like chains, bind my wandering heart to thee. If God was not sovereign, if God was not the one who kept us in his care, then we would be in such a perilous spot. Because how many of us really are holy enough to keep our own salvation? How many of us are really in a position where our faith is strong enough that we'll never doubt? But Christ has never lost one of his children before, and that is, a, that is good news. Yes? Um, um, some people have been Christians, and then they don't believe anymore. So when God says that he's never lost one of his sheep, does that mean that they have just not been Christians? Mm, it's a great question, Eva. It's, uh, it's actually something that... Um, uh, in the discussion that we're going to have in weeks to come on God's covenant promises to parents and to their children, and it's a uh, it's a really good it's a really good question. What um, Jesus says in the in his sermon, in his um, parable of the of the sower is that some people they 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 uh, they grow up and they look as though they're going to bear fruit, and then they don't, and that's that's what shows uh, if you're one of God's children or not. Do you bear fruit? Sim- simply just saying that you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Do you have the fruit of the Spirit? And for those people that, that turn their turn the back on Christ, they, they did not have the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, so we're going to go to Psalm 100. Uh, we've sang this several times. This is a, a very similar tune to the doxology. Um, and once again, this is a, a song that speaks to the, to the sovereignty and the faithfulness of Christ, of God. He is the shepherd and we are his sheep. It's he that feeds us. We're made for his pasture. And when we sing the Psalms, we get exposed to all kinds of the good. We get exposed to the good news of God's sovereignty all the time. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Him serve with mirth, His praise forth tell. Come ye before Him and rejoice. Let's sing verse one again, because that's. Uh, Amen. Amen. I love that. 
promise of Psalm 100 that the truth of God will endure from age to age. It seems like we live in a time where things don't seem to be enduring very well. Uh, even even uh, our country, as great of a country it is and as thankful as I am to live here, we are not an old country. We're a very young country, and yet we are not acting too faithful or enduring with our love of Christ. And so, fortunately, I think we're getting what we've what we deserve, unfortunately. <laughs> That's been a long time coming, though. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to jump into our discussion on the um, Memorial G. Basically, it's a pretty long one. We might not get we might not get through all the way all the way through it. But just as a little bit of a recap, um, we've been we've been meeting now for uh, this is maybe our sixth actual group meeting with families and everything, um, maybe seventh. But before that, it was uh, we would meet on Thursday nights and we would uh, discuss different. Um, topics, generally surrounding Reformed theology. Um, and then back in November, we met via Zoom with Pastor Dave Hatcher, um, who was here last week. And he recommended we go through the, the um, CREC Book of Memorials. He didn't really give any real strong structure to what it had to be, but he, he kind of gave us a, a little bit of an, an idea that we should look through the Book of Memorials and see, see what it has to say, because those are distinctives that find themselves in the CREC Church. Um, so Memorial G is actually the last memorial. There's, there's, um, there's just those eight. Um, and it's probably one of the greatest distinctives of the CREC. And it takes up three pages, uh, four pages, it really. Um, so I don't expect this necessarily to be a super in-depth discussion of the nine different points that they bring up in here. But I thought what might be helpful is if I just read through them and then we just discussed them, discussed you know, the implications of them and... We don't have to spend very much time on, on some, and we can spend more time on others. Does that sound good with you guys? That way you're not just listening to me yak? Okay. Um, so um, under Memorial G, which if you're looking at it like this, it, it starts at the bottom of the page. Um, it says, we believe that the Lord's Day worship, that Lord's Day worship is our highest privilege, our greatest duty, and our deepest joy. Uh, God has created us for just this purpose, to worship him and to be transformed by him as we worship. So we've got we've got two two real big things here. We've got why Lord's Day that Lord's Day worship is kind of like the best. It's awesome. It's the best thing. And that that's why we were created and it's it's why it's how we're changed into an image of Christ. So when you guys read through that, this is totally a discussion. It's not just me talking. When you guys hear that, is there does anything come to mind or does it seem like too hyperbolic? Does it seem like it's not hyperbolic enough? Uh, you know, what do you guys think when you read through that? So I'm going to freely admit that I have a lot of opinions on worship. Uh, I've been involved in it to a degree at times, and one of the things that I think is um, one of the things that I think is missing from a lot of maybe. Um, uh, charismatic type worship is the sense that the words that you're actually singing are a privileged thing. To be able to sing of salvation and to be able to sing of those particular truths, I think that oftentimes we the words seem vacant. Mm -hmm. The melody is the most important aspect. And so, and then the emotional response to that melody rather than the words themselves. Right. And I think that we, it can sometimes be lost on people that what you're singing is reinforcing the truth of scripture. Mm -hmm. And that is a, that is a privilege. That is a privilege that as a, as a saved individual that you mm. now have. And there right. is tremendous there should be there should be tremendous joy in it, and it's not going to be absent of emotion, but it's definitely something that I think that yeah you can't just come you can't just come in and then sing the words arbitrarily. And right. I think that having an appropriate respect for right. the, the lyric is is huge. So anyway. amen to that. I think that's really good, Andrew. Do you when you hear the word worship, do you think do you think is that limited to singing only, or do you think of it as broader than that? Um, 
I've, wrest I've wrestled with that a little bit because I think that there are expressions of worship that um, sometimes people are a little less uh, favorable to, um, maybe because of a cultural bias. So we do see in scripture, singing is uh, accompanied with shouting mm. and dancing and an expression of joy that oftentimes from our side can look or might even come across as chaotic. Mm. Um, God is a God of order, so I don't see worship as being a disorderly thing. Right. But I also see that sometimes in our in our rever in our uh, reservation, not reverence, but in our reservation, mm -hmm. we're often quick to dismiss sometimes expressions of worship that might feel a little bit over the top. Like, whoa, that, that's. Mm. And again, I'm not suggesting you know like come explain in the spirit or anything like that, you know, like right. there, but I do think that there are times where, oh, that's not, that's not okay. Right. So, um, so, but I've wrestled with that because I've also seen how that can be distracting in a worship service too. Do you think that, there, Judy, were you going to say something? I've um, recently read a very good argument for worship is a posture. Mm. What we're speaking to is praise. <laughs> and that if you look at the Old Testament, when someone faced God mm. and saw even, you know, however close you could experience God, they fell mm. on their knees. Mm -hmm. And so the scriptures and the argument for worship is a posture is very convincing. And I've always had that in my soul. It's about humility mm. when we come before the Lord. It's really good. The exclusivity of singing, it's not, it's not, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. The, yeah. The, it's not, the, the praise and worship, worship is, uh, Worship is larger than just the choral praise that's mm. happening. Right. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. I think that I think that's going to be the spirit with which this memorial is written. The idea that worship is encompasses praising God through singing and through playing instruments and things like that. But it's also like listening to the sermon is part of worship. And taking communion is part of worship. Oh, I mean, when, when Dave talked last week, he talked about... Man, that might be in here because I haven't read that this evening yet. Yeah. But the the call, mm. the call of God right. on us, and then confession, mm. and then consecration, yes. and all these things, all that is worship. Right. You know, we've we've kind of like I said it's a cultural thing in that we we th we have a worship leader. He's the guy that plays the guitar or the piano or whoever, and we 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 don't consider that the entirety of the service is a worship service. Mm. And like like the lady said. You know, somebody told me once, well, unless you're in church, you really can't worship. I said, that's ridiculous. That's utterly ridiculous. You know, honestly, show me in that. In the mm. And they can't do it. I mean, we should, our posture, our spiritual posture should be appropriate. That's right. kind of this covenant renewal kind right. of draws that out of us and sure. puts it in us at the same time. Yeah. So the church that Leanne and I went to back in Georgia, they actually made a point to not call him the worship leader or the worship mm. pastor. They, they called him the, I think, pastor of the musical arts. Um, okay. And, and they said by calling it worship, it constricts everything else that we do to not be worship. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. That's helpful. I mean, that in, that's helpful that they not only call, it, call that out, but are careful with how they name things. <laughs> I've heard some people say music director, um, you know, but that's, that's really good. A song leader. Well, they, they were... <laughs> They were first of all calling him a pastor because they were saying that it is also his his job to preach the gospel, and um, and the whole sermon was about how they select how they do their song selection, kind of their those filters that they right when, when choosing what they sing. Cool, that's really neat. Right there. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, can I have your place? <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that people have a little trouble with when they think of predestination, election, and all that kind of stuff, is just like, how does it fit into our world? Mm. And so I'm looking at one of these verses they have down here for this uh, uh, worship, and it's Isaiah 43, 21. And it goes, you have, no. What will, what will do your Will, <laughs> uh, the people... I got uh, the, this Isaiah, but he's, he's talking for God here. The people whom I formed for myself. Remember why we were made. It wasn't made so that Alan could be happy. 
<laughs> he was made because he yes. made it, because that's what he wanted to do. And he says, um, they will declare my praise. Hmm. So, you know, I'm just taking their verse here, but the point of it is, is that uh, when you think more along the lines that um, we are here at the behest of hmm. being able to worship yes. our creator. And if we live to be five years old or 105 years old, it's uh, that's what our job is to right. do. And yeah. so singing and praise and worship, uh, I mean, everything yeah. people have said, it, it's good. But that's what, why we're here, to yeah. do that. What is the chief end of man? It's what? What is the chief end of man? Amen. Amen. I think I think that first, you know, they come out of the gate swinging there um, with the Lord's Day worship is our highest privilege, our greatest duty, and our deepest joy. Um, that's singing certainly is going to be encompassed in that, but they're talking specifically about from the call to worship. When you are called into God's presence, Judy, you your posture falls on the ground and you confess your sins, and then God raises you up and He says, "You are forgiven of your sins." And I'm going to change who you are through the preaching of the word and the singing of the songs. And then when you're ready, you're going to come to my table and you're going to have this piecemeal with me. And then I'm going to, then now that you've consecrated, we've communed together, we're going to commission you back out into the world. And that, that service is our greatest privilege. It's our highest privilege. And it's our, it's, our, it's our highest privilege because once we've been saved, once God brings us into his family, we have work to do. And how do we, how do, we do that? We primarily do it this way. And yes, our, we've got six days to go out there and um, to see what the Lord has got in front of us to do for his kingdom. And then on that, on that day that we rest and we come into his presence, he, he, um, uh, he calls us, we confess, he consecrates us, communes with us, and commissions us back out into the world again. So it's this beautiful cycle. So um, any other thoughts on point number one? Uh, it said, number two says, we believe that in worship, once again, worship in the broad sense, the people of God, or specifically I would even say covenant renewal worship. If, if you want to put a, a label on it, covenant renewal worship would be that idea of God calling us into his presence and then eventually commissioning us out. We believe that in worship, the people of God are engaged by the Spirit and drawn into the Father's presence as living sacrifices in union with the risen Christ. In Lord's Day worship, God renews his covenant relationship with his people by serving them and them serving him. He draws near to us to draw us near to him. So Lord's Day worship is God serving us. It's When we talk about what should the Lord's service look like, we need to remember that this is, yes, we do serve God, but it's in response to the service that he gives to us. So a good example of it would be the covenant he makes with Noah. He puts a rainbow in the sky not so that Noah can remember, but so that he can remember. And when Noah sees that, he can remember too. There's nothing wrong with that. But that rainbow in the sky, the bow in the sky, the war bow in the sky, is God's promise that will remind him. And so in this, even though God is omniscient and sovereign and all-powerful, he is the one that is serving us. He's drawing near to us, and therefore we can draw near to him. Ava? I thought it was to remind us of rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yes, it's not a Disney movie. <laughs> Any thoughts on number two? Number three says, We believe that in Lord's Day worship we are gathered together in the presence of the living God among four people. Well, I should say amongst four things. Among a glorious assembly. Sorry. We are gathered together in the presence of the living God. Among a glorious assembly consisting of angels, the church militant on earth, and the church triumphant in heaven. So there's, there's kind of four things being talked about. God, the angels, the church militant, and the church triumphant. Charles, do you remember the difference between the church militant and the church triumphant? The church militant is the one that is still fighting. The church triumphant is the one that's in heaven. Amen. Yep. The militant are, we're the church militant. Those who've gone to be with Christ are the church triumphant, and they're the they're the great cloud of witnesses that are, um, you know, encouraging us on. So that's what happens on the Lord's Day worship. We are in the presence of the living God, 
and the church militant, the church triumphant, with the assembly of angels all come together. This goes back to what Dave was saying last week about telling his kids, come on guys, get up, we're going to heaven every Lord's Day. We're going to go to heaven right now because that's what we, that's what we believe when we worship, that we're ascending into the heavenlies with, with our creator. Any, any thoughts or comments on that one? Number four uh, is um, number four is you could kind of uh, break down. It's a little bit longer, but you could kind of break it down into the first two thirds is how he gives to us, and then in the second third is about how he accepts from us. So it says we believe that each week in worship, through the Lord's service to us, so he's serving us and our service to him, our triune creator and redeemer gives us the covenant gifts of glory, knowledge, and life in and through Number one, the assurance of our forgiveness. Number two, the preaching of the word. And number three, partaking of the Lord's Supper. So those are the kind of three main things he gives us. We come, we confess our sins, and what he gives us is assurance of our pardon, assurance that we've been forgiven. Then we hear the word preached, and then finally we partake of the Lord's Supper. Then it says, while bestowing these gifts upon us in worship, at the same time, he graciously accepts our praise and thanksgiving of him. In reorienting us around his covenant, he empowers and calls us to live in terms of his new creation. So we need to remember that when God accepts our praise, he's being the one that's gracious. So even if our heart's in the right place or we think our heart's in the right place, Isaiah tells us that outside of Christ's work, making us acceptable to God, God won't accept our praise. So when he does accept our praise, that's him being gracious because of the work of Jesus. One of the things I liked about this is thinking about when I go to church, when I go and I worship, I'm getting gifts from God. I'm getting the gift of of forgiveness. I get to be reminded that I'm forgiven. I get the gift of the the word that's preached to me. And that word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's meant to cut me up and rearrange me into a new person so I can be sent back out into the world. And then, of course, maybe the pinnacle of every worship service should be eating with God, being in union or communion with Christ. Christ gives of himself to us, and we partake of him. Any thoughts on number four? I know this is, kind of, this is, like, this is hugely big stuff, and so we're, we're going through it pretty quick, but do uh, um, you guys have thoughts on it or things that may be... Because you can see all of the, you can see all of the, um, the uh, proof texts that we're not reading. <laughs> if we just read those, it would, it would be here an hour. But those are really, really helpful to look through. I think the, the thing that I appreciate um, talking about uh, our triune creator, one of the things that I try and focus on is that we're praising God through the mediation of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that worship service is reconnecting us with God the Father by the power of Christ, or uh, through through the sacrifice of Christ, mm. by the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And so I think right. that you don't, I think that's really, these are, all of these memorials have been very thoughtfully written. They've been very thoroughly written. And so I think that any commentary that's really added beyond that is more just like personal anecdote. <laughs> I, mean, it, it, it's, it's, sure. I mean, it's really, I, that, that's one thing that I keyed on, is mm. that, um, our triune creator and redeemer gives us the covenant gifts. And I, um, I think just kind of understanding how that mechanically works mm. can help us appreciate what's going on corporately. Right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, Joe, the sure. thing, one of the things that began to appeal to me with reformed uh, distinctions, I guess, is, um, you know, out in, in some of the churches I've been to, there's been discussion or talk about appropriating things from God and all that. I, I love the language of covenant and the covenantal language, okay? Mm. Because that, that's so biblical and it's, it's so consistent that God deals in, in relationally with us in covenant. And um, he's, he's taken on most of it 
upon himself mm. to be yeah. faithful to that. Mm -hmm. And that's, I just love the way they, yeah. the, the language they use. It's just more, way more biblical than mm. some of the places I've heard before. Yeah. Uh, the fifth one here is really cool because um, it kind of gives us a little bit more of the, I mean, the why behind anything is always important. Um, and just that it gives glory to God is enough of a why for anything. So anything additional is just, you know, it's just simply doing things because it glorifies God and he calls us to do it. That's good enough. But it's so much more than that. God is such a God of abundance that it's never just for one reason. It's always... It's, there's, there's always uh, additional blessings. So it says in, uh, in number five here, it says, We believe that God uses our worship to change us and the world. Uh, you'll hear a, a common refrain um, in, in certain Reformed uh, circles out there that worship is warfare. That when we worship, we are going to battle, um, and that we're changing the world through this. Um, it says, We are transformed by the grace of God's presence and leave worship... So leave Lord's Day worship with a, with a renewed sense of and commitment to lots of things. Things like mission work, discipleship, and community. Biblical worship results in changed lives, spirit empowerment, and impacts the world for Christ. Furthermore, God is pleased to hear and answer our prayers, particularly those that ascend in the Lord's Day worship of the church. He hears our prayers for the nations and in answering us, makes manifest his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So the why behind here is that when we go and we come into God's presence to worship like this, everything changes. This is not, church is not just some arbitrary day where people get together for a Bible study. That's not what church is all about. Church changed lives uh, and it impacts the world for Christ. And when we leave, when we're commissioned out into the world, our vision of mission, discipleship, community, down the list, is all changed. Eliana. And what does manifest mean? Manifest means to like, appear or to, to come to something that you can now see. So when Jesus came, his advent, he was manifested as a little baby, right? So he came as a little baby. He was really a little baby, but he, he became appeared. You actually could see God for the very first time. You could, you could see him and touch him and hold him. That, does that answer your question? Good question, sweetie. Um, I, my, the note I put on number five here is that the Lord's Day and the worship of the church is at the center of the kingdom and is the pinnacle of all the created world. So it's not like church is something you do when it's convenient. It's not like church is something that you get to as long as everything else works out. It's like church is the pinnacle of your week. It's the, the first three days of your week you're looking back on the worship of Sunday. And the next, the, the, the following three days you're looking forward to the, to the worship that is to come. And all of the created world centers around this pinnacle. Now, of course, the unbelieving world doesn't see this. They don't recognize it. To them, Sunday is just another day off, if it's off for them or not. But for us, it's the center of the kingdom. That's where we get our marching orders and get sent back out into the world to do to do battle with with the with the evil with the with the wicked with the wicked one. So, uh, any other any thoughts on on number five and kind of the 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 immense practical implications of Lord's Day worship? I think that the. Um particularly those that ascend in the Lord's Day worship of the church. Um, I think as Christians we should be given to worshiping throughout the week. Mm. Um, but one of the things that this should be an encouragement on, which I gave a loud amen to Dave saying this, is corporate singing, uh, corporate worship is a huge blessing to those believers and it edifies the body. Mm. And there is something that is much more special about that to m me in my experience of worship when I'm doing that in community than when I'm doing that by myself. And I think that God has used that to bring unity and bind people, but it also 
is a um, indictment on those who do not wish to participate mm -hmm. in the singing out of a pride reason because they're afraid of being out of tune. And I will rail against that. I would rather hear shouting mm -hmm. off key that blesses the, you know, yeah. that, that, is, that is praise filled than somebody who sings in perfect pitch and yeah. does not mean a word of it. You know, my kids are all really good artists, and so they can just draw, and it's just like I'm, they could be three years old, and I'll be impressed because I'm pretty much the world's worst artist when it comes to drawing. But I know I could easily become much better if I just practiced, if I had somebody teach me, if I took lessons, if I just practiced every day. And for people who don't sing well, or they think they don't sing well, sometimes it's just like, well, you know, you can take or leave drawing. You can't take or leave singing. You've got you've to learn to sing to the absolute best of the abilities God has given you. And not everybody has been given the same level of gifting, but everybody's been given the same command to sing with joy before the king. And so, Andrew, just to give a hearty amen to what you're saying, the, the perfect pitch means absolutely nothing. And the, the willingness to sing to the king um, and to even the willingness to, to try and grow and become more excellent in, in your worship abilities is, is really important. You know, too, Joe, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't end at noon or whatever right. time the service Amen. gets over, and it, it extends. Yeah. You know, Habakkuk asked God why, you know, kind of why do the wicked prosper? and Why why are you going to use the Babylonians to, mm -hmm. to, to judge us? They're worse than we are. Yeah. And God, God the just shall live by faith. Yeah. So we're gonna we, we need to go throughout the rest of our week, just a springboard out of the worship service, living by faith, believing that God is sovereign, believing mm -hmm. that He's in control, believing that He's He's the, still the Creator, yeah. and all all of these things. Yeah. We live by faith, and that needs to be that's going to be exemplified through the week when we when we come with the right spiritual posture, when we prostrate ourselves mm -hmm. before God. And, and confess our sin and do all these yeah. things and then we're invited to his table the yeah. table that he gave us not that we conjured up or synthesized or anything he mm -hmm. gave it to us right we'll start preaching here but anyway mm -hmm. we live by faith and that carries us but you know we're human and i know when isaiah says they we will run and not grow weary i'm weary man come saturday night you know or saturday mm -hmm. and then we get to look forward to the next day to kind of come and be with like-minded people who God has chosen and called, and and get that, get that invigoration, and to get get be reminded of all these things, yeah. uh, in a in a formal corporate type of way. So, yeah, it was absolutely tragic that our our government. It's not surprising, but it is tragic that our government saw church as so non-essential that they were willing that and still willing to have it completely to yeah. to shut it shut it down completely yeah. and. You know, missing church occasionally is sometimes unavoidable, but to shut it down to where people have no place to go, and then churches would follow that or continue to be following it. You know, yeah. maybe initially the church is on fire. Yeah, okay, everybody get out. So that's and, a good reason. And they left the liquor stores open <laughs> for, for, plan, plan, for the open. wrong reason, but mm -hmm. for their reason. Yeah, people need that. When I think of covenant, I think of um, God's covenant with us. Mm. He said. Um, this is you obey and keep my commands. Mm -hmm. That's your part of the covenant. My covenant is with you. If you do that, I will bless you richly and you will prosper. Mm -hmm. So um, the idea of the worship on the seventh day, it's a command of God. Mm -hmm. And so if nothing else, you're keeping your, your covenant with mm -hmm. him. Yeah. And then all these other things right. are you're richly blessed. But he promised us that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And, and that does, and it carries, carries you through. I mean, and if you all know that without the fellowship yeah. fellowship of the fellow, your believers, right. it's easy to be discouraged. Yeah, right. Yeah, God, God gives us these covenants, and he says there's going to be huge blessings if you obey this. Mm -hmm. But watch out. There's also big curses if you don't. <laughs> that's, why, that's why people are so, you know, uh, even surrounding like that new covenant of the Lord's table, for so for a long time the um, the uh, Catholic Church was 
putting requirements on people to at least come to communion once per year. Because people weren't even doing that because they're like, I don't want to mess with God. I know I'm not worthy enough because it's the Catholic Church. I know I'm not worthy enough to, to come to the Lord's table, and I don't want those curses on me. And so the Catholic Church says, no, you have to at least come once. <laughs> and, of course, you know, we want a church that celebrates communion weekly because this is Jesus. Why wouldn't you want Jesus every single week? Anyways, I, that's a whole other topic. They don't topic. want to hear what he has to say. Yeah. I, I say they don't come because they, um, they know what they're supposed to be doing, and they just don't Yeah, do that's that. true, too. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I don't want to have to deal with that. They don't want the conviction. Mm -hmm. uh, number six says, we believe that worship should be informed and governed by the Bible in its entirety. In constructing our liturgies, we are to pay particular attention to those portions of God's word that are specifically given to inform us of what God desires in worship. So this, I haven't finished it yet, but number six here is saying, when you construct your liturgies, and liturgy is just your order of doing things, like how do you do something? So you have a liturgy for having breakfast in the morning. You have a liturgy for um, you know, going to work. The, all those liturgies, the, the, the path you drive with your car is your liturgy. Hey, Ellie, can you hold that question for just one second? Um, uh, so it says, so they're saying that the whole Bible should be used when you construct your liturgies. Uh, these portions include, but are not limited to, descriptions of patriarchal worship. Levitical worship and tabernacle of David worship, which all point toward the glorious advent of Jesus Christ, whose self-offering and victorious resurrection accomplished our salvation. This final work of our Savior provides the basis for the resultant transformation of worship spoken of by the apostles in the New Covenant. Uh, then they add as an addendum, we are of course prohibited from returning to the practices of animal sacrifice, for this would deny our faith in the perfect and complete sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a nutshell, we're not going to base worship exclusively on the New Testament. Of course, the New Testament is probably going to be the primary influence, but all of, the, all of God's word is profitable for teaching. It's for rebuke, for training in godliness, and we would say that it's also profitable in informing how we worship God. Ellie, what was your question? Um, why didn't the people want to go to church? Say that again. Well, they, they didn't want to go to church. They just didn't want to take the Lord's Supper because the, the Lord's Supper is a, you don't want to take, you don't want to eat condemnation onto yourself, which is what Paul warns of with the Lord's Supper. Um, basically, like, you take it and then God becomes angry with you. They, they, they did not understand truly, or I don't believe that they understood what Paul meant by that. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, good question, sweetie. Um, any thoughts on that general idea of using the whole Bible to construct liturgies? Obviously, there's tons of details there that are not being shown here. It's just, it's just saying that just because we're in the New Covenant doesn't make the Old Covenant totally off limits. There's an idea out there that the Old Covenant is there kind of as like a, a historical a, a piece of, that, of history that you can read and maybe benefit from from a historical sense, but it's no longer authoritative. It no longer has any authority or it does not have any relevance to us. And this would say we believe it does. Um, Anybody have any thoughts or issues with that? It sounds like Second uh, <clears throat> Timothy is at three sixteen and seventeen. All scripture. Yes. Amen. And useful. Amen. Um, I see somebody coming in from the outside and seeing descriptions of patriarchal worship. <laughs> yeah. What? What does that mean as far as the CREC? How do they, how are they understanding, how are they understanding that? Sure. Yeah, I, I would have to have Dave answer that question okay. specifically. Um, what, based off of my experience, not in a, in a leadership standpoint at all within the CREC, just as a, just as a, um, a congregant, uh, patriarchal worship just means the faith of our fathers. You know, just the way the fathers um, in the Old Testament you know, uh, passed on the faith. So it's, it's, it's not a, um, probably it's an, an emphasis on making sure that churches don't seem more holy if they're filled with women and children only. You know, like we, we put an emphasis on, on, we don't want to see our church be just women and children. We of course want all the women and children that can be there, but we want the men to be there with them. Um, and, and part of that is by, as Dave was talking about last week, 
proper understandings and views of the home and of, of, the, of marriage? That would be my guess, but that would be a good question to ask him even in email, because he's on the email, email list. So. Number seven says, we believe that these portions of the Bible give us a divine pattern and sequence of worship and provide us a detailed understanding of the benefits of Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. These benefits include purification from our sins, transformation of our persons, acceptance of our work and tribute, and peace with God and men. Through biblical worship, the Lord assures us of the forgiveness of our sins, the Holy Spirit's ongoing work of renewal in our lives, the requirement and acceptability of vocation, and the promise of the increase and maturation of Christian community. Um, so that's all, of course, based on um, uh, biblical worship leads into all of this thing. It leads into purification of our sins, transformation of our persons. We're changed, we're purified, we're accepted, not by just the worship itself, but since Christ has seen us fit, now this is how we can relate to God. <coughs> Now, I'm going, to keep, I'm going to keep moving just in the interest of time. Uh, Andrew, you're going to like this next one. It's all on music. We believe that these portions of the Bible also teach us that each of these glorious aspects of worship are to be set out in the context of beautiful music that is maturing in both voice and instrument to the praise of Christ the King. So not, nothing super specific on music other than it should be beautiful. It should be maturing, meaning that we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be in perpetual kindergarten with our music. Um, and that it should be maturing in skill and beauty and goodness in both voice and instrument. Both of those things, sh we should be getting better at them as a, as a body. You know, as a local church, yes, and as, a, as the broader church, even more so. We've got, we've got a lot of work to do. We've got generational work to do to, to bring back some of the, the glories of, of, uh, of Christian music. Any thoughts on uh, music? Okay, last one is, we believe that the proper implementation in love of the above requirements, the, the last eight things we just read, requires a practical understanding of all, of all that scripture teaches, including an understanding of lesser and greater matters, Christian forbearance with our brothers, liberty and worship, which is not self-willed, an avoidance of an over-scrupulous zeal and a desire to maintain a biblical Catholicity as we build on the work of the historic church. Lots of things there to kind of, to kind of take apart, um, but basically implementing this is going that we, we want to implement it in love, meaning that this isn't just like, hey, we've, we're the only truly pure church and everybody else is, 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 is in heresy. No, we want to implement this in love and we want to practically understand all of scripture. And, and we want to understand the things that some people might say are less important, and we also want to understand the things that are, 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 are um, even more important. All of Scripture is profitable. Um, Christian forbearance with our brothers just means putting up with one another if we don't all have the same convictions, which we won't. Liberty in worship, which is not self-willed, meaning that we have freedom in worship, but that freedom is not based in our own, like, I want to do what I want to do. That's self-willed liberty, and that's... That's American liberty. <laughs> uh, and uh, an avoidance of over-scrupulous zeal. Uh, so I, I believe that that would probably, let's see, are they uh, saying Romans 14 there? I didn't actually check. Romans 14 would be like the idea that you become so into what you're doing that you're, you, become, um, you become holier than the Bible. You know, this, these things are so critically important that uh, anyone who's not practicing them is a heretic. Um, and then a desire to maintain a biblical uh, Catholicity, which is, am I saying that right? Catholic, Catholicity? Is that how you say that word? Catholicity. Just that idea that we are, we are in union with one another. Reformed, non-reformed, anybody who's, who's fundamentally Trinitarian and, saved, and believe that they're saved by grace alone, by, by Christ, we want to be in, in union with them. Uh, as, as the broad historic church is concerned. So, so we're not looking for, for just our tiny little sliver of all the perfect Christians. That's obviously not what we're, that's definitely not going to work. Anybody have any thoughts on number nine or even just the, what we've talked about thus far?
Cool. Those are awesome. All right, so we've got, well, I just really, really quickly, on the back of here, we, we don't need to spend a ton of time talking about this right now because we're a little short on time. Um, on the back here, we've got some upcoming dates next week. Um, we're not going to have this in the evening because um, as many people as want to, everybody's a bit invited, is to go up to uh, Trinity Church. Um, and Dave, I don't know if he quite knows what he's getting into, but he wants to offer us hospitality. So he'd like to know how many, how many people are going to come. So if you guys want to come, just, uh, you can just send an email to that group text or that group email, or you just let me know and I'll let him know. Um, and so that, that is, uh, I put 9 a.m. I think it's actually at 9.30 a.m. I'll, I'll send that out. In a, if you get there at 9, you'll be fine because you'll just be there a half hour early. But it's, <laughs> you'll have to get up early because it's about a two-hour drive. Uh, then February 5th and 6th, over in Moscow, there is a missions conference. George Grant is going to be talking. Um, and that's, it's going to be super awesome. Right now, because of, um, we're tentatively planning on having some men carpool over. Um, and so if people want to be a part of that, just, just let me know. We'd love to have you. Um, some of the things that uh, Pastor Hatcher was suggesting is that um, the men look through the book by Alexander Strouch, Strouch called Biblical Eldership. Not quite sure how you say his last name. But Biblical Eldership looks like a really awesome book. There's actually a free booklet on this online. It's 50 pages long, and it gives the full outline. And just kind of, it's a brief surface outline of the whole book. But it's, it's, not, like, it's not like a dust jacket version. It's, it goes into depth, depth, and it's free. Whenever we start to go through that book, that's kind of to, to be determined. Uh, and then as far as going to actual uh, Lord's Day worship with Trinity, uh, Hatcher, Dr. Hatcher, uh, Pastor Hatcher had talked about maybe meeting with uh, household by household, uh, maybe via Zoom, so he could get to know us and and uh, and uh, as we move towards that date. So, um, and then I we let's not we don't actually have to talk about this as a group right now. But if you want to read through this, um, I would love to have people be more uh, involved as much as they would like. I, I'm happy to, to to be doing the things that I'm doing, but I also don't want people to think like that. I don't want anyone else doing this. I would love to have. Other people up here doing this, opening us up in prayer, closing us in prayer, um, playing instruments, leading us in music. Uh, I, I can sit in the chair and join in just like anybody else. So read through this. If you see things that really like, uh, you know, Ellen and Ron have really kind of uh, owned already coming in and helping set up and tear down, that's awesome. Thank you guys so much. Um, or if there's other things that I don't write, haven't written down and you guys want to join in on, uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that as well. So. I have an ignorant question. Sure. <coughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. Paul and I are vagabonds, and so we've worshipped with many denominations. Yes. So, in one or two sentences, what is your book of memorials? Is okay. This, yes. Because every Great church question. has, we're kind of, mm -hmm. um, we can get a little dicey and just say it's kind of like, you know, what is the central committee telling us now? Right. So, is this your central committee <laughs> guide? No, no, no. no. That, in fact, <laughs> I went to I went to a CREC church that was. Mm -hmm. And for five years, I didn't even know the Book of Memorials existed. <laughs> but it is it's, like a statement of your doctrine. It, it's, it's 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 um it's important. And so I'm, this is not yes. meant to, to uh, degrade what we've been working through. Mm -hmm. What it is is it is um uh, so where it'd be a confessional church, mm -hmm. meaning that you would take one of the historic confessions. It could be the Westminster Confession of Faith. Mm -hmm. It could be the London Baptist Confession. Um, we've actually chosen to look through the Reformed Evangelical Confession. So that's a confession of faith. A confession of faith is very broad. Mm -hmm. Memorials are kind of distinctives, things that um, are common to, to this denomination. And so the Book of Memorials is not like, they're not requirements by any means, mm -hmm. but if a church wants to be a CREC church. Oh, distinctions. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah mm -hmm. they're distinctions to, to mm -hmm. that church. And so if, for example, uh, a church um, disagreed with what they read in, mm -hmm. on the worship thing, it probably wouldn't be a good fit for them to be a part of the CREC. And so in the CREC would tell them that, like, hey, this is, these are the things that kind of define us, and if they're not defining you, it's probably not going to be the best thing for like-mindedness. My understanding is they're, they're not chiseled in stone and right. hard and fast, but they're meant to foster unity yes. and communion right. and unity mm -hmm. amongst people who aren't always all together. Maybe right. some are in Kirkland and some are Right. So it's just kind of a chalk line for the field. Kind of, this is 
is where we're, this is what we're exactly. going on. Exactly. Right. We and all and get uh, John Calvin uh, jackets to wear around. Exactly. Yeah. We all have to grow our beards out. Can you get a big target on my back? <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but, really. No, but it is necessary because we do have an enemy, and he yeah. works in many. Yes, right. And he's right. usually present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So anyway. Yeah, that's a good question. Really good. All right, let's we'll back on something that yes. Dave said last. They said it a couple of times now, and I think that it's really critical for all persons involved for heart check. For for a heart check is that. Um, the establishment of a new church should not be done by a bunch of disgruntled people. Mm -hmm. right. right. It's done out of a heart and out of a love for wanting to be closer to God and understanding that certain scriptural truths have um, have been revealed yeah. in, a certain, in a certain way and then are compelling you to do that and to establish a new church. So yeah. I think in that I think in that regard, um, uh, again, to piggyback on kind of the memorials idea, yeah. the memorials are very much trying to help solidify where like-mindedness exists, not in sort of this exclusionary fashion, mm. but more of like a hey, if you're if you're feeling this and if you're on board with with this, here's the scripture that we use to back these ideas. Right. We understand these to be truth. Yeah. Um, and they, they he also made a clear distinction between open open-handed and closed-handed issues. Right. I mean. Right. The, some of these distinctions are not do not pertain directly to salvation. They pertain to how we understand God sanctifying us mm -hmm. and His sanctifying work, and how we can do that corporately. Right. So that's that's how I how I've interpreted the yeah. memorials. Yeah, I think that's I think that's spot on, spot on. It's they're they're meant to foster like-mindedness, not to not to show you know anything outside of just fostering like-mindedness. This is, these are the things that we love. Okay, so we're gonna do. We're gonna sing, um, "Holy God, we praise Thy name." Um, and for those, I, I, I gave this disclaimer last week. For those of you who read music, please bear with me because I'm not gonna follow the music exactly. This, these, all these songs come out of um, a, a, a hymnal that the the CRC actually put out. They put the first one out, I think, in 2001, and they just came out with their second version of it, and it's called it's called the Contus Christi in 2020. So they just came out with it in 2020. And I have not found a single version of this song that follows the music exactly the way they've written it. So I'm going to, if you're familiar with this song, I'm going to sing it the way I think we've all are familiar with it. Um, and uh, it's actually pretty close to the way it's written, but uh, it is a little bit different. So. Holy God, we praise thy name. Three 
So we'll finish with The King of Love, My Shepherd Is, which is um, a setting of Psalm 23. Uh, one of the things Dave talked about last week that I thought was very, a big blessing is, is um, you know, we're to sing, the, we're to speak to one another in the Psalms with hymns, with psalms, with hymns, and with spiritual songs. So we're, we're told for sure that we need to do psalms. And we've got hymns and spiritual songs, which mean something too. But God, he was, he was talking about how when you love someone, actually he wasn't talking about this. This was another guy that I heard talking about the psalms. He was saying, when you love someone, you know what they love. That's one of the ways that you know that you love that, that person. And God loves the psalms. He gave us 150 of them to sing. Martin Luther used to call it the little, the, the little Bible. It was the Bible in the Bible. And so when we sing the Psalms, we're singing these songs that God loves, and we show him that we love him. And so this is a setting of um, Psalm 23. The king of love my shepherd is. Um, and uh, it's an it's a Irish, Irish melody. So... The King of love, my shepherd is, whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his, and he is mine forever. doxology. Would somebody like to close some prayer and then we can sing the doxology and have some little bit of food? What's that, Eva? You want to close this? Anybody? Okay, nice and loud so we all can hear you, okay? Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that we got together at Reformation Round table. Thank you that Mr. and Mrs. Myers were able to come. And thank you that we're open to the new church. Please help us Guide us and to give us wisdom, and please help, um, please help it to go um, well, and please help everyone to be able to make it to Dave Hatcher's church next Sunday. Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly 